Welcome to the Net Group Investments podcast channel, a collection of conversations where we share a variety of views and insights that investors care about. From market updates and investment fundamentals to investor behavior and even the latest book recommendations, this is a space to stay informed and interested in your financial world. Today, we bring you the first of a three-part Global Perspective series with three of our esteemed global best-of-breed partners. Today, we're joined by Tim Bray from NS Partners, co-founder and co-CIO. They are the portfolio managers of our Net Group Investments Global Emerging Markets Equity Fund. Now, a core component of the investment process at NS Partners is to assess the liquidity dynamics and where money is moving in countries around the world. Now, country selection matters, particularly in emerging markets. Would you elaborate a bit more on that for us, Tim? Yeah, thanks, Rob. I, I couldn't agree more. Um, we, have a, we have a phrase that we use, money moves markets, and, and we believe that liquidity is a key indicator of the relative attraction of different uh, emerging markets and their prospects uh, in terms of stock market uh, performance. So what do, what do we mean by that? What, what are we looking at here? We're looking at narrow money, which is essentially notes and coins in circulation. And you know it's been proven that narrow money growth tends to lead the real economy by on average six to nine months. So conclusion one we can draw is we, we have an understanding of whether an economy is gonna be going, getting uh, growing or gonna be slowing. And then the other insight that this work provides is it, un, it lets us understand whether we're in a risk-loving or risk-averse environment because we can look at the excess liquidity. In other words, is there more money in the system that is required by the real economy? If there is more money in the system, then that will find a home and it finds a home often in financial assets and pushes those financial asset prices up. So two things we're looking at here. One is the relative strength of uh, different emerging market economies. And two, the second thing is we're looking at, are we, have we got excess liquidity? Is that gonna be make markets and investors bullish? Now, a very pertinent country to talk about today is, is China. It's a very big component of the emerging market investable universe. And at present, we're in the throes of the Chinese Communist Party Congress. And in the first few days, we've seen some very provocative comments from Xi Jinping. How does this affect the investability of that particular market and, and by extension to emerging markets, particularly in Asia around there? <clears throat> Yeah, I mean, obviously, it's going to be really fascinating to see the the speeches at the Congress and, and, and what is said and, you know, where the emphasis is. And then at the end of it, we're going to get a new uh, members to the standing uh, uh, committee and we're going to get new members of the, the Politburo as well. So it's going to be fascinating. You know, I take a step back and I'd say, OK, what have we got to where we are? And, and a lot is to do with the character of Xi. Uh, so Xi is what they call a princeling, which means that he is directly uh, related to some of the original founders of the Communist Party uh, that took power uh, earlier in the century or early last century. And uh, so, you know, does he have that great kind of commitment to Marxism? I suspect not. It's much more about a little bit of entitlement. It's about we, we are the rulers. We are, gonna, we are entitled to lead this country. Now, he, I think the expectations were with Xi that he was going to be uh, a much more welcoming to the West. And that's not really proved to be the case as his sort of premiership has, has proceeded. Uh, and I think it's much more about nationalism. It's much more about finding a different way 
to the US-led consensus, the post-war consensus in, in the West. So they want to find a Chinese way of leading the world and they want to bring more countries into their sphere. So there will be a lot of focus on what is said about Taiwan. Obviously, that's top of the list for them and part of that, that program and very much part of that nationalist thinking. You know, Xi's probably going to be around. He's renewing his leadership for five years. He'll probably be around for 10. Uh, he has stated in the past that resolving the situation with Taiwan is a matter for this leadership and not for the next generation. So I would be more wary about what happens in that next five years, not the immediate five years in front of us. I think dealing with Taiwan is you know, a big ask when you're dealing with COVID. You have a much weaker economy than you've had for decades, and you have a big problem in your in your real estate and property market. So I'm not you know, I'm not worried about the short term. Uh, I think all that all the focus will be on what is said on Taiwan over the next week. However, you know, early signs are that there's a lot more lot more comment on the real economy and about self-sufficiency, uh, which is obviously very much more important to China as their uh, US uh, starts to restrict the movement of technology to to China. And, and so I think that's going to be where the emphasis will be on investment, on education and competing and developing high tech and, and science. So we actually see some economic growth in China that is expected and not necessarily prevalent around the world in general. We've also seen that China is one of the only countries to be reducing rates most recently. Does that bode well for investment or companies within yeah, China? I think, well, so, so interestingly, you know, we said at the start of the podcast that we look at money growth and money growth in China is relatively strong compared to uh, other parts of the world. So normally that would be a positive for, for the economy and for the stock market. And there is excess liquidity there. The problem has been the COVID restrictions and they're married to a zero COVID policy, uh, which, you know, is a, a real challenge for the economy. It's why the economy has slowed. Uh, after we get through the Congress, we hope to see some, some easing of those restrictions. We've started to see it a little bit in Hong Kong already. Uh, and that will be very helpful uh, for getting the economy going again. And that will be very supportive of the stock market. Another challenge for the stock market is obviously that we've been through really now five years of much tougher regulation, uh, particularly for the large tech companies. This sort of all feeds into Xi's kind of much more domineering leadership and uh, bringing down the private sector and heads of the private sector to size. We, we think we're at peak, the, the worst of that. And uh, so that will be supportive of what are now very, very cheap, world-class internet companies, the likes of Tencent, the likes of Alibaba, the likes of JD.com. So these are great companies doing fantastic things in a growing market and will, you know, should continue to grow. Uh, they've just been really negatively impacted by that much tougher regulatory environment, which we think is at its peak. Okay, thank you. And if we take a step back and look at EM markets in general, do you think, and I know you have an EM checklist relative to DM, do you think now's a good time to be looking at emerging markets or are there a couple of things you still need to see to make it a, a more positive or better outlook for emerging over developed? Yeah, so, that, so uh, we have a checklist, uh, you know, we think about what conditions you need for emerging markets to outperform developed markets. If you look at the very long term, obviously emerging markets with a better growth track record have, have outperformed in the long term, but there's a cycle around that relative to, to developed markets. 
And we're pretty low in that cycle. Uh, you know, emerging markets have been a, in a relatively a relatively poor performer for a number of years now versus developed markets. Uh, what's going to make that change? Well, yeah, we need some of these factors on our checklist to turn positive. A few of them are positive already. The key one for me is the US dollar. And strength of the US dollar is normally consistent with a period of underperformance in emerging markets relative to developed markets. As interest rate pressure, upward interest rate pressure, starts to ease and then reverses in the US as the economy slows and inflation comes down, then you would expect the US dollar to start to reverse and come off what is a very, very high level and what looks like an overvalued level. Consequently, I think that is a real key moment for emerging markets, and that's the moment that we would expect them to start to outperform on a relative basis. And, you know, we might be closer to that than we think. Uh, that could be like a Q1 event, uh, 2023. Uh, we're certainly expecting inflation, inflationary pressures to start to ease and bond yields to, to turn soon. And then if we, t- again, take a step away from China and think about some of the other countries within the EM basket, where, where, where are you finding the most attractive opportunities with, with positive momentum? Yeah, there's so many uh, exciting opportunities uh, in emerging markets all the time. And, and, you know, if you want to find growth in a, in a low growth world, there's still plenty of, uh, plenty of exciting places uh, uh, in the EM universe. So uh, the obvious one, the big one, uh, and growing significantly is India. So a nice little symmetry here. India's just had the 75th anniversary of its independence. And it overtook the UK in terms of its size as an economy. So uh, it's now the fifth largest economy in the world. And uh, growing so fast, I think it will overtake Germany and and Japan in in the next five or ten years. And so there's a great story there. You know, things like the, uh, the property market, the, the residential property market, it's incredibly exciting. Uh, we own banks that lend into that market. We own real estate companies. Why is it exciting? Well, if you look at uh, mortgages as a percentage of GDP uh, in India compared to other emerging markets like China or developed markets like the US, it's much, much smaller. There is enormous room to grow that mortgage market and increase home ownership. So just one exciting opportunity in India. We like Indonesia. That's been a good market for us this year. Really strong growth coming through there, 5.5% GDP growth. Been helped a little bit by the strength of the commodity market. There's been political stability and, you know, not, not a lot of inflation. So Indonesia's been a good one for us. Vietnam looks really cheap, really a, a great market, seeing a lot of inward investment from people that don't want to produce goods in China. So Vietnam's a, an interesting uh, market that we like as well. Well, thanks very much, Tim. That's been incredibly insightful. Thanks for joining us today. My pleasure. And thanks to everyone for listening and hope to have you back on a Negrib Investments Insight podcast in the not-too-distant future. Goodbye. Netgroup Collective Investments is an authorised Collective Investments Scheme Manager in terms of the Collective Investments Schemes Control Act. Netgroup Investments does not provide advice on financial products and will only give you factual information. For further details on our funds and to view our terms and conditions, please visit netgroupinvestments.co.za. Netgroup Investments. See money differently.